Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And as a country, we are finally heading towards a return to some kind of normality. It has been a long, long four months of lockdown and the government yesterday signed off on major easing of COVID restrictions. It seems there was a rather short cabinet meeting yesterday that led to Micheál Martin then unveiling a plan to fast track the lifting of restrictions on businesses, on travel, on family gatherings, all and setting it out quite clearly over the coming months. He of course came out onto the steps of government building. We're so used to seeing that shot now aren't we and waiting for what is going to be the latest address to the nation and God knows it's been pretty much bad news over the last 13 months or so so it was good to have a bit of positivity yesterday and Michal Martin used the word hope and he said hope is returning. And I also thought it was good where he went on to praise the national effort of all of us saying, you know, because of your hard work and sacrifices, we're all in a better place. And the majority of people, I think the majority of us have put in hard work, have made huge, huge sacrifices, particularly during this lockdown. I know you've got the few, but you'll always have the few. And listen, once the majority of us are doing the right thing, the benefit will all will benefit. And that's what's happening uh, now. The NEFIT, the National Public Health Emergency Team, They actually surprised Micheál Martin and the ministers and the rest of the government by recommending this much more liberal approach to easing restrictions than had been expected. I mean, we were talking, even only I'd say up to last week, we were talking about there would be easing of restrictions, but don't expect too much. It'll be very, very gradual. And then it seems Tony Houlihan and Neffert, I think Tony Houlihan coming back, looking at the figures and said, no, we can have a more liberal approach. Things are going in the right direction. And I think on the same time, the positivity of what's happening with the vaccinations, the National Vaccine Programme because that is progressing at such a pace. That was one of the reasons that Tony Houlihan gave the green light, particularly for the inter-county travel and that's certainly coming a month early. We were saying inter-county travel wouldn't happen until at the very earliest June. It's now going to happen on the 10th of May, so Monday week. Uh, Also that's the day that hairdressers and barbers all be returning on the 10th of May. Dr Tony Houlihan also cleared the way for a summer of outdoor dining. Bars and restaurants will be 
allowed to serve customers outside. Now we are going to have to wait until June for that. That's the 7th of June. Hotels, guest houses and bed and breakfast, they're getting a week head start. They will be allowed to open on the 2nd of June and that has got a lot to do with that's the June bank holiday weekend and that's to allow the tourism industry to take advantage of the June bank holiday uh, weekend. However, there was some disappointment particularly among the hospitality sector that hotels will be permitted to serve residents inside but when restaurants and pubs open the following week all of their dining has got to be outside and it looks like restaurants and pubs will remain closed certainly until at least July and obviously they'll take a look how things are going in May they'll take a look about things are going in June and if everything is going according to plan and if we do get 80% of the population vaccinated in June, then I think it certainly is going to be safe to move indoors in July for things like pubs and for indoor uh, dining. Uh, In other good news that was announced yesterday, families, three households, or you can have six people, will be able to meet up outside and that's uh, including doing it in your own back garden. You have another 10 days to wait for that. Up to now you've been allowed to meet and maybe meet up in a park or go for a little picnic together. You will be allowed to have people into your back uh, back garden but no more than six people. I mean they're, they're just saying to keep keep the gatherings like that small. I suppose they're fearful of big barbecues being held or big parties being held or big events uh, being held. So uh, while there is a, a, you know, a major easing of restrictions we still have to do our very best to stick to all of the guidelines that have been given to us. The vaccination bonus, that's going to be felt, felt by hundreds of thousands of people who've already received their vaccinations. They are going to be allowed indoor visits without masks or without social distancing. That means they can hug each other. That's going to be permitted in certain cases. Michal Martin said that fully vaccinated people will be able to meet indoors with other fully vaccinated people as long as there's no more than three households present. And that's going to be good for the older population because it means that they can meet up with friends. It means they can meet up if their friends have been vaccinated. If they have other family members who've been vaccinated, they'll be able to meet up. They won't have to wear masks and they won't have to worry about social distancing. And then fully vaccinated people will also be able to meet indoors with unvaccinated people. But that has to come from a single household provided that they they're not at risk or nobody else is at risk of severe illness and there are no more than um, three house, households uh, pres- present. And that one, the aim of that one is to allow for the grannies and granddads who haven't been able to see their grandchildren in so long. A lot of the grannies and granddads have been vaccinated while their children and their grandchildren will be unvaccinated, but they now will be allowed to meet and they will be allowed to meet indoors. The government also gave first glimpse of plans that will permit mass gatherings. Now these are going to be your sporting events, your art events. Will we any hope of there have been any festivals going ahead this year? But certainly that's not going to happen until later on in the summer. By the end of June, they're going to start look at letting people attend live sporting uh, events and concerts and gigs and they're going to start looking at them both indoors and outdoors. Now, they'll obviously do some piloted events indoors and outdoors to see how it goes. I know there was a concert held in Spain. Very positive results coming back from that. It was an indoor event. Now, everyone had to be tested first to show that they didn't have uh, COVID-19. They all had to wear masks, but it was an indoor event. It was a live concert. It went on for bones of three hours. There was no alcohol allowed uh, at it. And then they did a follow-up. Everybody that went along had to agree to be t- to be retested 
so many days after the concert. Really positive results came back from that. There was a, a small group of people tested uh, positive, but it wasn't a super spreading event. So they were really, really happy with that. So something similar to that, I imagine they'll test it out. They'll do some pilot events, but they are looking at having some kind of live sporting events and live concerts. But as I say, I think it's going to be later on in the summer. 50 people allowed to attend a religious ceremony. I'm assuming a lot of people very happy with that to be able to get back into Mass. That is from the 10th of May. Uh, and that also includes 50 people will be allowed to attend a wedding or a funeral. But there is a caveat on that. There will still be a limit on the number of the people who can attend events after the religious ceremony and that obviously is not applicable to the weekly Sunday Mass but it's going to be applicable to people going to weddings and funerals. You can have 50 inside in the church for the wedding but if you're going on then to have an event afterwards there's still at six people if it's indoor, if it's a nice sunny day and you're planning an outdoor event you can have 15, that's in the month of May and then in June that figure jumps to 25 people will be allowed to attend the reception afterwards and obviously it's going to be the very same for funerals as well. And for from next Monday, well, it'll be Tuesday because we've got the bank holiday, all construction will return. And then a week later, the non-essential retail, they'll be allowed to do click and collect. And then we have to wait a further week after that to the 17th of May when all of those non-essential retailers, so they'll have a week of doing um, click and collect and then the following week they'll be able to throw open their doors and that's going to be the 17th of May and I'm wondering on the 17th of May will we end up seeing the queues that they are witnessing this morning in Belfast and in Derry for people queuing up to get into Premark i.e. what we affectionately call uh, pennies. Will we have similar scenes for some of our larger shops here on the 17th of May? We will let you know when that day uh, comes. People are still though been asked to work from home at least until September. That is that is still there. Adult sports training that resumes again. That's one of the earlier ones, the 10th of May. But I know and I was reading online a number of gym owners and people who attend gyms very disappointed to hear that gyms if you are if you are a gym have a gym membership you won't be allowed back into your gym until the 7th of June and gyms are also tied in with leisure centres and they're also tied in with uh, swimming pools all of that not coming back until the 7th of June and some might have been a bit surprised with that because Leo Varadkar last week had been saying the one thing that he most missed was going to the gym and he said when he was sitting around the cabinet table he would be pushing to have the gyms reopened when it looks like they weren't listening to him because gyms are well down the list on the 7th of June Amir Martin said the return to normality has been assisted by a transformative COVID-19 vaccine. He said the rate that they've been administered, that's greatly increased. He said we can see it in countries all across the world where vaccines are being rolled out the positivity that comes with it and the more return to normality he said we're starting to see it here. He said already almost all of our most vulnerable are now uh, protected and he said we can already see that the rates of deaths, the rates of serious illness, the rates of hospital admission and the rates of infections in people who have been vaccinated has all but collapsed. He said uh, all across the country there are families who have witnessed at first hand the sense of relief Relief and the sheer sense of joy of a loved one receiving the vaccine. Yeah, and I would have to agree with him. I don't think there isn't a family who hasn't been touched in some way 
by having a loved one and that relief when a, a vulnerable young person or an older adult is vaccinated it's just the relief that comes uh, with it is fantastic so there that's the uh, the phased reopening and uh, certainly it is a the, it's a fast tracking of lifting of restrictions more than we could ever have hoped for I think was announced yesterday so what of all of the things that we've announced of all of the things that Michael Martin spoke about yesterday what's the one you're most looking forward to what was the one that you were most happy to hear about or is there something in there that you were disappointed that you thought would have been mentioned and hasn't been mentioned we'd love to hear from you this morning 1850 maybe it's going to the hairdressers maybe for some people it's the thought now that they'll get a little bit of a staycation maybe it's for the grannies and the granddads listening the thought that they'll be able to get to see their grandchildren there's grandparents who have had grandchildren born in the last year who haven't yet held their grandchild so to be able to go into county and go visit families that's something people are most looking forward to lots of comments coming in people saying most looking forward to going to mass isn't that there's something sweet in that and a lot of people are with me can't wait to get the hair cut somebody else is saying uh, I just love the thought of going away for a couple of nights and staying in a hotel and not have to worry about who's making the bed or who's cooking the dinner God so say uh, all of us Hi Patricia with regard to the lift of the restrictions which were announced yesterday don't hold your breath did you hear Leo and Simon Coveney both being interviewed both indicating that the HSC has a stop break so that they will have the final say if the numbers go up I hope the people will behave and continue to be careful well yeah that's where we all have a role to play uh, Mary and a lovely positive uh, text in from our uh, gentleman in Germany who listens regularly to the programme online says morning Patricia hope you're keeping well oh my god what can I say we all have had a very strange and challenging 13 months with Covid we've had a lot of cocooning social distancing mask wearing and a lot of our daily lives turned upside down we've had opening then lockdown then reopening then another lockdown and our light at the end of the tunnel it's getting brighter it's great to see Ireland getting a little bit of daily life back again but we must remember Covid is still there and the government said they don't want to shut things down again so people of Ireland enjoy the reopening of of, uh, the country but please 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 don't go crazy still follow the guidelines keep the vaccines rolling out and the light of the end of the tunnel will be brighter in 2022 for all and we're we're all in this together so let's let's all still believe that and finish this battle against Covid stay safe from a from a North Cork man in Germany that hopes to get home next year have a nice and a safe bank holiday weekend. Thank you. That's a really sweet text. Now, there's a number of people on about driving lessons and including Nora in Mitchellstown. Patricia, have you any information on essential driving lessons and when they are returning? Driving lessons were mentioned yesterday and driving lessons and driving tests are set to return on a phased basis from the 10th of May. But before people think happy days, I'll start booking in my driving lessons. Essential workers are going to be prioritised. There's a huge backlog in a driving tests have built up over due to the COVID uh, restrictions and the government have cleared the way now for a gradual return of driving tests and instructions in the next two weeks. But the priorities are going to be to provide driving instructions for essential workers only. They say that then will be followed by resuming driving instruction and testing for motorcycles. Then there will be a gradual easing of the backlog, prioritising non-essential workers who have been waiting the longest. But for now, for the 10th of May, anyone who is an essential worker who still has to finish off their essential driving lessons 
they will be able to start getting the lessons. So I imagine driving instructors are going to be very busy with people ringing them. But you must be an essential worker uh, for the start and then it'll it'll develop out uh, from there. So I can see there's a lot of people, some any mention of driving tests, uh, resuming lots of people uh, saying all the uh, same thing. Uh, 1850 Jackie says absolutely no mention of daycare centres reopening or respite for the elderly or their carers all the elderly people have been stuck inside abiding by the rules and now they really need to get back to mixing in their daycare centres having some kind of uh, social interaction says Jackie and you know Jackie you're right and the very fact that it's been mentioned that people have been fully vaccinated can now meet indoors together part of the vaccination bonus should they not also now say if they're allowing fully vaccinated people to meet other fully vaccinated people, people who go to daycare centres by their very nature will all have been fully vaccinated. So there should really be a push now to get a lot of those daycare centres back up and uh, running. We'll keep an eye and if we hear anything, uh, Jackie, we'll let you know. Te- thank you for texting to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. From motor, home, Business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. A Tipperary priest is calling on the government to financially support clergy who have had to invest in providing online services during the lockdown. To talk about the costs involved, I'm joined by Father Michael Toomey, who's parish priest of Ardfinnan and Newcastle in Tipperary. Good morning, to you, Father Michael. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm, very, I'm very well. Good to speak to you. Oh, well, and good to speak to you as well. Uh, firstly, go- good news announced yesterday from a religious ceremony point of view you're going to I'll be allowed to have people back in your church is that happy news day for you it's happy news Patricia it's great news that we can finally have people back into church and we're really looking forward to welcoming people back I only arrived in my own parish here back in September and then Newcastle in October so I've really hardly met anybody apart from funerals um the only thing is there's still a few queries Patricia this morning about the reopening because it's saying we can only have 50 in a church And last year, I was very much involved and made a number of phone calls to say, it seems a bit crazy allowing 50 people into a very small church and 50 people into a very large church. There Mm. seems to be no guideline there. So it was ironic that last night after Taoiseach's uh, statements, which was very much welcomed, and it's a good positive day, um, that I went online and the government guideline on gov.ie doesn't actually give any number of 50, would you believe? It just says quite clearly, recommendments of in-person religious services. So the Fine Gael also posted up um, a little note as well by saying, you know, you go back to existing guidance, which is actually the last guidance which was issued was back in December. And it was on about pods of 50. So if you have a large church, like I know where you are in Mallow, it's quite a large church. You'd have big sections, perhaps, where you could have 50 in a section, but a smaller church would have a maximum of 50. So there's that little query that's going to be discussed I think today and the next few days. With yeah because we also have some absolutely stunningly large cathedrals here yeah. in uh, Cork Cove, and yeah, it's always it been crazy that only 50 people were allowed into, yeah, <laughs> into it, some it, of the it, cathedrals. It, just, uh, Patricia, the, the long and the short of it is these decisions have been made for the good of people and everybody fully understands that but there seems to be no connection with the people at the coalface. Like, there's no discussion, right, we're going to limit so many people into your shop or your business or your church. How will that impact you? There seems to be very little dialogue there. It just seems to be, right, 50 for everybody. 
So you could have 50 in Cove Cathedral and 50 in a very, like, I have five churches, Patricia. I have a small church, which is basically one entrance, one exit, so I would literally only have 50 there. But I have a very large church where I can have six sections of 50 mm. safely. And we have it socially distanced. There's, the way we've done it here is we've red tape on every bench, so there's no one sitting in front of you or behind you once you don't sit on the red tape. You can come as a family or as an individual, and it's worked well, and we did that quite well over Christmas in the first open up. So there'll be a little bit of dialogue, I think, in the, in the, in the so, coming days. So, but hopefully days. a little bit of common sense will prevail. Common it, sense yeah. needs to prevail. And, and like, the, the other challenge, I think you mentioned it there, like... Uh, earlier in the week, Patricia, it was mentioned in the uh, Irish Independent that initially it was going to be 50, but still only 25 for a funeral and wedding. I'm glad that's been clarified that it will be 50 for funerals and weddings as well. But the other problem is I have, which is a friend of mine getting married in the first week in June, is I can have 50 people, he said, at a wedding and then tell 44 of them, right, go home now. I know, I know. Going that's home. going to be really difficult. That is really tough because, yeah. to be honest, Patricia, most people actually skip the church and they go to the house. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That's the real world. That's common sense, you know. Yeah, so, and, anyway. and the, the funerals for them, Michael, have, have, have you, they've been tough, haven't they? It's, it's been crazy. Patricia, I had a funeral uh, yesterday of a, a cousin of mine. Uh, we, that's why I was actually just, I was in the crematorium yesterday uh, down your way in, in Cove. Um, but just the whole, whether you've died of COVID or, or naturally or whatever, the whole funeral system has been very, very difficult. To tell a family you can only have 10 people in the church. You know, I had a funeral the other week. There were 11 immediate family members. Like there was the, the, the husband and the children. So which one do I say, right, you stay outside? That can't happen. It's yeah. common sense. Yeah. You know, we've had, again, no dialogue, no no connection. And I understand, of course, the government, you know, are doing their best to suppress this virus. What they're worried about is the afters, let's say, the gatherings outside and everything. But we in the church can control it much better because we have the space to do that. We can space people out. And again, no communication with church. And, and I'm not just saying the Catholic Church, Patricia, I have to be very honest here. This is all churches, all religious ceremonies and non-religious ceremonies. Um, that, you know, they, they have made huge ways of accommodating as many people as possible safely. You know, what happens afterwards, we obviously can't control. But that's going to happen anyway. That's out of our control. Um, but I think the long-term impact, Patricia, for everybody who's lost the loved one the last year, and, you know, I've been... I've been saying mass online with, with RT News every Monday morning um, since the pandemic began uh, in my old church in Peter Balls and now here in Ardfin. And, and the letters I'm receiving from people who cannot physically go to see a priest or a mass, I've literally been moved and cried sometimes. People are really struggling with life. And I think the mental health support that's going to be needed when we get over whatever, whenever we can, is going to be phenomenal for all age groups. And I really hope the government will do all they can to support mental health of people. Well said, well, well said. And the move to go online for the Michael, and I hadn't thought about this until I saw your piece, yeah. there, there was financial uh, implications to this. I mean, yeah. what are we talking about financially? But can I just clarify one thing, Patricia? I know the headline said, you know, support for clergy. I want to make that clear. I'm not looking for support from the government myself. I'm not looking for support from the government for my parish or, or church or anything like that. I'm just looking at the guidelines we have had up and still have up until the 10th of May. It's services move online, full stop. Again, no discussion with how do we do that. Now, a number of churches have, like I have, 
invested in a, a live stream webcam service where people can log in uh, church services tv is the one i use and they can go to their church and watch a mass there is a cost involved in that it's around five thousand euro and i know it was discussed on national radio the other day and people saying oh why is it so much and this and that because that's exactly what it is i have a bill for it and then there's an ongoing cost because we use broadband and we have to use a, a line so there is a cost involved in that as well and I want to say again, Patricia, I'm not a priest who would be the type of priest looking for money all the time. I know people are financially struggling. I know people have lost jobs. I, you know, I have family who have lost jobs, and I know how hard it is for people. And I'll be the last person to look for money or any kind of support. Thankfully, people in parishes have been very generous and supportive. But in the parishes themselves, they then have to invest in this system to, to get it in, to allow people to watch online. Now, the government have given so many instructions to so many businesses and organizations, you have to do so-and-so for COVID and this, that, and the other, and here is the support to help you. And that is absolutely right, and that has been great benefit to everybody. But for places of worship, so not just Catholic churches, I'm on about Church of Ireland, I'm on about Muslim communities, everyone who uses an online service, services move online, but they haven't taken into account this actually costs money. And, and no grants were available to churches to cover there, the cost. Ha- until I started asking the question, no. But I have since found out that there was uh, an announcement back in February that there was Minister Humphrey, I think, and McGrath O'Brien, there's a €10 million Euro COVID stability fund available for community and voluntary groups, which uh, I've been advised we as a church or places of worship may be able to apply for. So I looked into it further. That grant that was announced in February still isn't actually available, and that's through Pobal. So I'll be interested to, to see, not so much for my church, Patricia, but just for churches who I know are financially struggling, because obviously the, the churches have been closed. We have to be realistic. There is no collection happening, but bills are still coming in like every business across society. There's, uh, there's heat and there's light and there's oil and insurance, of course, is a big one as well. And I'm not saying, you know, that the government should pay for the church to pay for all this. Certainly not. I'm not asking for that at all. I'm just making a point. They have given grants and support to so many different businesses because of their instruction. They have instructed places of worship to go online, but they haven't then said, and here is, you the know, support to have you euro out. to help yeah, cover the cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a valid, it's a valid just, point. I'm just making the point. And as I say... I know people, as I say on national radio, it got a bit of traction the other day and someone asked the question, why doesn't the Vatican pay for I it? can see some texts coming in saying the very same thing. And what about the Vatican? And my response to that is the Vatican haven't told me to go online. Yeah, yeah. It's the Irish government has told me to go online. And they say, oh no, the Vatican is rich and everything. That's not how it works. Every parish is independent. It has to financially support and manage itself. Now, if I had a huge refit to do of a roof or thing, I could apply to the diocese who can apply to the Vatican to help in an emergency situation. But this is something slightly different. Now, where I was in Clomel, we actually set up the camera long before the pandemic, which in hindsight was the best thing we ever did, because... When the pandemic hit, we were ready to go. We were and there. And, and we would have some of our larger churches, but it's the smaller rural the ones smaller rural who are not in a position to do that. And in yeah. Cork, do you know this service, you have 43 churches, I just counted there this morning, who, who use church services TV. Yeah. So and all of them have got the same bills them, that you're talking yeah, about. Exactly yeah. the same. Now, okay. some might be slightly different, some might be slightly cheaper. Um, I've, you know, in fairness, uh, Patricia, people have been sending me donations to help support and, you know, local parishioners here. 
and you know it has been paid for so it's not that i need money for this i want to make that quite clear okay. but it's just the principle of the matter yeah. and it has been raised tds have actually raised it matthew mcgrath uh, i think raised it the other day and i think another uh, td as well queried us um what's his name oh father oh sorry michael healy ray raised it and also alan kelly was asked on another radio station on monday and he agreed there should be some kind of support just for this no, okay, let's um, wait. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what they, not, would they be listening to. Okay, and John Fimber, one of our listeners, says absolutely agree with your with your speaker there, speaker there's father, uh, Michael Toomey uh, from Tipperary. Uh, I was in Knock last year, and only fifty people had been left into the huge basilica. Seemed yeah, exactly. absolutely like, crazy. So, okay. so Knock is an excellent example, Patricia. It is because it's a, holds thousands, and they can only have fifty. 50. Okay, you know? and I was I was about to ask you when I heard you speak, ha- had you ever worked in St Peter and Paul's Church in Clonmel? Yeah. And then I heard you say it uh, because a couple of years ago I was at a First Holy Communion Mass yep. that you did uh, for my grandson and you were uh, fantastic and you were particularly good with the children. I thought you were Thanks you were excellent. So, yeah. so I'm glad to get the opportunity to, to say that to you. Listen, it was a pleasure to talk to you, Father Michael. And you, Patricia. Stay safe and we'll, we'll speak Love again. Thanks, all a, your listeners. thanks a million. Thanks you look after you. yourself. Bye-bye. Father Michael Toomey there, parish priest of Ardfinnan and Newcastle. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. It was on this day, April 30th, 1991, that a Fomoy couple were seen for the last time. 30 years on, Gardy have admitted that they're baffled by the mystery of the disappearance of Connor and Sheila Dwyer. Over the years, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent has covered the story and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. I suppose, take me back 30 years ago uh, today. What were the last known movements of the Dwyers? Well, the last sighting of Connor and Sheila was on the, the morning of April the 30th when they were seen by a local girl, Catherine Fenton. They lived at Chapel Hill, which is obviously, as the name would indicate, it, it's on a, 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 the bottom of a hill which leads to the, the church in Formoy. And they were seen walking up the hill going to a requiem mass for a local person and there were pleasantries exchanged on the street. That's the last confirmed sighting that we have of Connor and Sheila Dwyer who would have been in their early 60s at that time. The last actual contact was on May the 1st when a, Mrs Dwyer was brief, had a very brief chat on the telephone with her sister. There was nothing out of the ordinary, just it was catching up on local news or whatever like that. And over the next fortnight or so, uh, attempts by the family to contact Connor and Sheila failed until eventually one of the sisters went to the Fermoy Garda station to say that they were concerned at their inability to contact Connor and Sheila. And so really from April the 30th when they were seen and May the 1st when the last conversation was with them over the telephone uh, since then there has been Nothing. no contact whatsoever. And we're talking about an era where we didn't have mobile phones or anything like that because some would say why did they wait uh, two weeks but they would be ringing a house phone and if nobody answered they just probably yeah. thought that they were out and sure I'll catch them again on another day kind of thing. So they went into the house um, and it I mean it's as if this couple disappeared into thin air. No disturbance at their house. No. Literally, I mean, the, the, this Sergeant Joe Watkins, who was the um, one of the investigating officers at the time, and I couldn't put it any better than he did, when he said that it was literally as if they stepped off the face of the earth. Their passports were in the house, their clothing, there was no clothing missing, there was no apparent uh, packing of clothing for a trip. The, 
there was money inside in the house. Uh, all of their personal possessions were intact. Uh, and critically, their bank account was never accessed from May the 1st. So there was no withdrawals, lodgements or anything, no activity on the bank account from May the 1st. Yeah, so the guardies, uh, you would assume if somebody was decide, for whatever reason to disappear and set up a new identity, you would yeah. assume that they would take whatever finances they had available to them with them. Yeah, very much so. So very quickly, Patricia, what happened was that the guard investigation focused on the car that Connor Dreyer, Dwyer was, was operating, which was a Toyota Cressida, a white Toyota Cressida. Now, back in 1991, it was quite a distinctive car because it was one of the bigger Toyotas, quite a plush uh, automobile. And despite repeated attempts to trace that car, again, they were never able to get any sightings of the car, any indication of where it went. Uh, There was even an appeal at one stage, I remember covering, that the guards were, were, were hoping that maybe if parts of the car had been sold on, you know, as through the motor factor trade or something like that, but even that drew a blank. There was no trace whatsoever found of the vehicle. Were they a well-known couple at the time? They would have been. I mean, Formoy is a, it's a tight-knit town. It's, you know, nice place to live. Most people know everybody else. Um, Connor would be, for me, he, he would have been um, working at that point as a kind of a, an assistant for a German businessman who lived in the Castle Lions area, a man called Fritz Wolf. And he had a, 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 a penchant for very plush automobiles. So Connor would be known around Formoy for driving um, his employer's vehicles, checking on them, making sure they're in good condition. One of those cars would have been a Rolls Royce. I think another was either a Daimler or a Bentley. So Connor would have been quite well known for that. Um, but they're a very tight knit family. They, they two boys. Um, they were really well liked by their neighbours. Very respected family. And it was literally as if they just vanished. I mean, mm. they were baffled. There was no motive. There was no indication of why this might have happened. And despite what eventually became an international investigation, because a couple of months into the garden investigation, um, I think the couple had gone to Lourdes uh, once or twice as part of pilgrimages. And there was an indication that, that someone matching their description was seen. There was eventually a report also received from Germany and I think one from the UK. But in all the cases, the guards came to the conclusion that while they were well-intentioned, all of those reports were misguided and did not actually involve um, Connor or Sheila Dwyer. And as you mentioned, they had two sons and they were in their their 60s when they went missing. Their sons wouldn't have been living at home at that stage. They they were adults, yeah. No, they weren't. Both both sons were actually living and working away from home. There were extended members of both families living in the general area and they were the ones that raised the alarm when there was no... they just simply couldn't contact the couple. There was no sighting of them. There was no answer at their home. And that's then when Gardy went to the property and discovered essentially that it was normal inside. There was no indication of a long trip being planned or a sudden holiday or anything like that. And over the 30 years, despite repeated appeals for information, despite uh, there was actually at one point, there was a reenactment of um, Connor's car, driving his car, the house being featured, whatever, absolutely nothing of investigative value was ever delivered to the guards. So while the file remains open and active, they are as baffled today as they were back in 1991 over what could possibly have happened to this couple. And of course, if they were alive today, they'd now be in their early 90s. They would be, yes. They'd both be in their early to mid-90s. So, I mean, really, I think the investigation at this point is, is aimed at trying to get some kind of closure for the family. 
because it must be very difficult for them. I mean, there were there was actually another high-profile missing persons case roughly about the same time in Fermoy, and that went on for about 25 years until the family there got closure when um, the car that was involved was discovered and remains were found. So that family at least got closure. But it's very difficult for this family because they simply don't know. The guards don't know what happened to Connor and Sheila Dwyer. And I think the appeals for information are all about trying to give the family some kind of finality on this. And have they still got family living locally? They probably would. They've direct descendants anyway. Have they living locally? They would, they would have extended family on both sides, would be living in the general area. But, and they'd have a lot of friends, they'd have a lot of acquaintances from things over the years that would still be there. But really, at this stage, there has been, I mean, every investigation, there's a point where there's a critical breakthrough. It's just one little piece of information which leads the investigative officers to something else and it unravels the entire mystery. In this case, the guards never got the break that they needed. They never got that little piece of evidence, whether it was a sighting, whether it was a forensic discovery, whether it was some trace of what happened to the car. They never got that. So it it just didn't allow them to actually unravel what happened. On the case, you say, is still active, even though a lot of the Gardaí who would have been investigating at the time, all of them would be retired at this stage. Yeah, well, I mentioned I mentioned Joe Watkins there, who was the sergeant in Formoy at the time, and he was very involved in the original investigation. He took part in the reenactment. But he's retired for eighteen years, so I think that speaks volumes as to regard as to how the investigation has moved on. I mean, a lot of guards who would have joined the force in nineteen ninety one are now retired. So there's quite a significant passage of time. Was that Joe Watkins who was on the Paul Byrne piece on on Virgin the other day that you were on? It was. It yeah, because I thought what, what I couldn't get over was all those years later, he just rattled out the car registration number, just, you yeah, know, I, showing that he's never forgotten this case. No, he hasn't. And that's the funny, I, I was always struck by that because whenever I would chat to him, literally he wouldn't have to refer to notes. That licence plate number was burnt on his mind. And I think it just goes to show that you know, the guards, that they really, it was unfinished business for them. I think they wanted to get answers for the family. And they just, you know, it's, if you talk to guards, there's a level of dedication that it becomes part and parcel of, of what they're, what they do. And they don't like seeing families left in a position of not knowing. So that's why the file is still active. Yeah, Admittedly, 30 years on, it's very difficult to think that we're going to get a breakthrough now that we didn't get 10 or 20 years ago. But I think there's always hope. Yeah, it's the not knowing. OK, listen, as always, a uh, pleasure to talk to you, Ralph. Thank you for that. Thanks. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent. Remembering today, particularly 30 years on from the last official sighting of Connor and Sheila Dwyer, and we think particularly of their families uh, because it must be really, really tough for all of them. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp the programme 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Um, the Dwyers that we spoke about that couple missing 30 years ago today the last official sighting of them in Formoy a listener is wondering could the Dwyers have gone under a witness protection programme would that be a possibility I'm assuming if they were on some kind of a witness protection programme the Gardaí would still know in a case still wouldn't be active and they wouldn't have gone to the lengths they would have gone to I would have assumed that that's what would happen and somebody else says the car might have gone into a lake uh, yeah it's, it's obviously some dreadful accident happened in the day 
days after the last sighting and the last known that when, when Mrs Dwyer had the telephone conversation with her sister, yeah, you would assume that some dreadful accident happened and wherever the car went into, it's just disappeared and it's been submerged somewhere. Will we ever find out? God only knows. But you just can't help but think of the family today, particularly on the 30th anniversary of the last sighting. This must be the day that they always think about them. Not that there's probably a day goes by that the sons don't think about their parents and what happened to them. But you imagine around anniversaries like this, they are, are particularly in their thoughts. And a lot of people enjoyed my interview with Father Michael, the parish priest in Outfinning in Newcastle. He lovely, lovely man. Uh, somebody says, I agree with everything Father Michael had to say on the programme. Really enjoyed the interview. Thank you for that. Uh, Mary says, Hi Patricia, just lovely to hear Father Michael speaking on your programme today. He spoke with such common sense. Uh, we've, we watch his Mass every Monday from Outfinning. He says, a beautiful Mass. And by the way, I finally got an appointment for my jab after a two weeks wait, says uh, Mary. Well done and no doubt you're absolutely thrilled to have got your uh, jab. But yeah, Father Michael, uh, it was only when he started to speak I realised that sounds like the guy who did my grandson's First Holy Communion Mass a couple of years ago in St. Peter and Paul's Church in Glamel and it was. And he was lovely. I remember on that day how kind and understanding he was to the children and the Mass was all about the children and I always love First Holy Communion ceremonies where the I mean the children are always included but when the priest comes down to the level of the children and it's all about them and it's all about their special day there's something I think special priests that uh, do that and John in Canturk says Father Michael absolutely fantastic he spoke so well on your programme and he sounds so inclusive I hope the church would consider using him as public relations for the church in the this country. He's so good and so positive. I'll be looking at his mass this weekend on church, the church services that he uh, mentioned. And when he was talking about the church services and the fact that it's cost so much to churches in order to stream online, we did have a couple of people who said, tell them to let the Vatican pay for it. And Alan on Twitter at C103 says, why should the government give any money to the church? The church ran this country for years and never gave away any of their money. Well, when I did ask him, and he brought it up himself actually before he even got to read out any of the texts about why couldn't the Vatican pay for it. He did make the point that the reason that they went online was the government told them to go online. They were forced to go online. So he says for that reason that he's not looking for them to run the church but he's looking for them to cover the cost that many churches have had to uh, fork out in order to go online. Now some of your other thoughts coming in to us. Somebody wants to know where exactly is Mallow GAA Club located for the vaccination centre. There are signposts all over Mallow showing people when you come into town. I don't know what side you're coming from. If you're coming from, say, the Mitchellstown from Moy uh, side, you don't come into Mallow Town at all. Uh, say you come off the Mitchellstown Road, you'll be turning right. You take the first left, literally almost immediately, and it's just a little bit up that road. It's on the outskirts of Mallow. And if you're coming from, say, the Canturk or the Charleville side, you come into the roundabout, you go right down through the town of Mallow. And when you you get to the end of the town there are traffic light system there you will turn left and then take your first right and go straight up what's called St Joseph's Road and it's at the bottom of that road but it is signposted I can see because um, uh, we're getting calls like that in almost every day because people around the North Cork area are getting calls I'm assuming people in the 60 to 69 year old age bracket are getting calls too because it's the 
the vaccination centre for uh, for the North Cork area is in uh, Mallow. OK, just stay on vaccinations for a moment because somebody says, Patricia, do you know when the vac- vaccine portal opens for the 50 to 59 year olds next week? Will the first day be for 59 year olds, second day for 68 year olds and so on, like they did for the 60 to 69 year old group? That's from Caroline in Mallow. Yes, on, I guess I would say absolutely that's what's going to happen. All we've been told so far, and I think it was Paul Reid of the HSE, said that people in their 50s will be invited to register for the vaccine from next week. Now we don't have a date as to when it's going to start, but I imagine because it ran so successfully for the 60 to 69 year old group by doing it on each individual day uh, working down through it. And of course now the portal is open for everybody be aged between 60 and 69. If you're 69 and you didn't register, you know, feel free uh, to register now. But yes, uh, Caroline, I would imagine that's the way they'll, they do it because they don't want the system to be swamped all on the one day. And remember in the 50 to 59 age group, there are over half a million people. I think it's 550,000 people they reckon are entitled to register. So that's it's a, it's a bigger group than the 60 to 69 year olds. So I think uh, because of that, they just they won't want they just won't want it swamped. So I think that's that's exactly what they that what they'll do. They'll they'll do it the very same way. And hi, Patricia. Says somebody somebody else. Have you any idea when thrift shops and charity shops might reopen? I do because Rose from Tara Shock, that wonderful charity shop in Dunmanway, was on to us right early this morning to say fantastic news when they announced what was going to open up yesterday uh, that the charity shops will be able to reopen from the 17th of May because they'll come under the non-essential retail. Some charity shops might decide to do click and collect because I know they successfully did it before but maybe the fact that it's only for one week they might hold off. Click and collect for all non-essential retail is from Monday the 10th and then the following week Monday the 17th all non-essential retail uh, will be allowed to reopen so that will include all of the charity shops and a lot of people have missed those uh, charity shops so I'm assuming that they will be quite busy when they get up and uh, running. Uh, another text in some very welcome news in yesterday's easing of lockdown arrangements says this texter however why are gyms and leisure centres for members so far down the timeline they're not due to reopen until the 7th of June it is acknowledged that these facilities were strictly controlled and regulated during previous easing of restrictions it's also acknowledged that chlorinated water is very safe as regards transmission of the virus I sympathise with people also getting married six at an indoor reception is prohibitive and hotels by and large have been good on the rules. However, pubs, I feel, should be the last to open and should not be opened until everybody is vaccinated. Many pub owners and their clientele breached all the rules prior to Christmas and to me that accelerated the pandemic. These pubs messed it up for the genuine publicans and pubs are not due to open until it's the 7th of June, isn't it? For pubs and indoor uh, dining. And I think the reason for that when you say that they shouldn't open until everybody's vaccinated, I think the reason for that that is by the time we get to the 7th of June, if the rollout continues the way it's going, we should have a large proportion of the population 
vaccinated, won't have fully vaccinated, but a large number of people will be vaccinated. And of course, as somebody else pointed out, let's remember there is a stop button. If the numbers go the wrong way, none of the, what we're talking about will happen. But hopefully that's not, not going to happen. So I think by the time the 7th of June comes, I think there will be a large cohort of the population will be vaccinated. So that hopefully will allay your fears. Any news on passports, Patricia? Thousands are waiting, like myself says. Um, the last I got on passports was three weeks ago when the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, with responsibility for passports, did admit that it would be months before full services would, would resume, at, resume at the passport office. Uh, figures from 2019 when a record 90,000 passports were issued suggest that there are 200,000 passports not issued or renewed and that's just for the first three months of this year. Now Simon Coveney had said a resumption of some passport processing wouldn't resume until the country moves to level four and full services wouldn't resume until we're in level three. And then that led me to say what level are we in at the moment? So I asked John Paul could he find out what level are we in? And Stephen Donnelly this morning said that the level system is largely gone and he said you could make the argument that we're somewhere between 3 plus and minus 4 but he said it's better to just look at the individual measures rather than uh, talk about uh, levels. So we're trying to get an update on the passports but certainly even once they come back and are back up and running it is going to take months but you're not on your own uh, and there's a lot of people waiting on uh, passports. 1850 Now Gardaí are investigating a fire on board the shipwreck MV Alta, that's the ghost ship near Ballancolic. The blaze broke out around 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon when emergency services responded. Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, has more on this. Good morning to Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Now, and you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, is the fire, is it now now fully extinguished? Yes, it is. Uh, Cork County Council issued a statement late last night to say that the fire had been substantially extinguished and um, they had to, the firefighting operation had to finish for the evening due due to rising tide and poor light. But uh, Gardaí have confirmed this morning to the newsroom that the fire has been extinguished and that um, emergency services attended the scene last night and preserved the scene for a technical examination and Gardaí are going to be examining the cause of that fire on board the ship later today. Now we understand at this stage that no arrests have been made and that there was nobody on the ship when uh, the firefighters arrived yesterday. Now, there were members of the All and Middleton Fire Brigade that were dispatched to the scene yesterday, along with Ballycotton Coast Guard and the Irish Coast Guard Service as well. Um, They arrived there just after four o'clock yesterday. And as I said, they left the scene shortly after half past nine last night. So they spent, um, I suppose, the guts of five hours trying to extinguish the blaze, which was in one of the cabins on, on board the ship. Now, I know that oil and fuel was removed from the vessel last year because mm. obviously there was pollution concerns. But obviously there would still be flammable material in pipes and stuff. It, like it, it's still that could have been a much more serious fire. It could have. Now, as you said, the majority of the um, the, the the liquid and and the 
the substances that were on board that ship were taken off it last year because there was fears of the impact that it would have on the local environment and on the seascape. And um, so I don't, so I think that there was concern yesterday that this, as you say, could have been a, lo a lot more serious. Um, and thankfully, the fire services, now obviously we know that it's in a very difficult um, location to access, but the fire services did do a really good job yesterday in getting down there as quickly as they could and trying to stop the spread of the fire to reach any hazardous material that may be on board the ship. And it seemed to have been contained just to the cabin yesterday. And um, now there has been a, a warning as well, Patricia, issued to the public because as we know, this ship, the MV um, Alta, uh, washed up on the grounds just um, off Ballycotton shore in February of last year. And since then, it has attracted thousands of people to the area and we know that in the last while people have been going down there and doing videos on TikTok and um, the the scene is not safe, it's not a safe location for people to be and the council have numerous times issued warnings to people to avoid the area and they're again asking people today to not go down there because I suppose now with the fire people maybe inclined to go down to see what happened but because there's been further damage to the boat or to the ship uh, caused by this fire it's in an even more unsafe condition than what it was so people are again being asked to avoid going down to that ship okay it certainly has proven to be an unwanted um tourist attraction for sure uh thanks for that fiona and just while we have you on the line have you any update on the the firearm that was discharged in Rochestown yesterday um, no, the, the Gardaí have just confirmed in the last while that the five people who were arrested in relation to that are still being detained this morning. Um, now, they can be held for up to 72 hours and um, then at that stage they'll have to be charged or released, but extra time will have to be added for breaks and for sleeping. So um, we may have an update across the weekend on that, but as it stands, the five people who were arrested, there was four men, one in his late teens, two in their 20s, one in their 50s and another woman in her 50s were arrested at that scene at Rochestown yesterday and they're still being detained this, this morning. Okay, and there was a number of weapons also recovered? It wasn't just a firearm? That's right, yeah. There was ammunition, a firearm, there was cleavers, pikes, hatchets, uh, some petrol bombs as well. Yeah, and... Um, the Gardaí uh, detectives from Cork City as well as the armed support unit had gone to this house at Island View off the Rochestown Road um, at around 6 o'clock yesterday. Now it was a planned operation that they were they were planning to carry out a search under a warrant of this house um, and it was part of an investigation into criminal activity and when they arrived at the house someone inside the house shot at them. Now nobody was injured thankfully in that incident but when Gardaí, the, the armed support unit moved in first and sealed off the scene and um, they moved in then and the five people inside were arrested and then all of this ammunition and firearms and weapons were were seized and again that investigation is ongoing today by Angardi. Okay we'll keep a, a close eye on that. Listen Fiona thank you for that thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, bye bye that is Fiona Corcoran our senior news reporter 1850 103. C103 Jobs Bio Gold Agri, they're based in Kilavallen. They've got vacancies for yard operatives who need to have experience in loader and forklift driving. Childminders required three days per week. It's in the Kilbritton Bantir area, while general operatives are wanted for the Bantry area, full part time and summer positions. And a stock controller 
is wanted for a warehouse that's based in Quartertown in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. At Harvey Norman, you can shop in our spacious Cork stores at Little Island and Kinsale Road for home appliances and essential technology. Or you can shop our full range online for home delivery. Get the Samsung Galaxy A52 SIM free smartphone packed full of awesome features now only 439 or get the sleek and stylish Microsoft Surface Laptop Go with powerful Intel i5 processor now only 775 save 44 euro and at Harvey Norman Cork we're matching all competitors prices even their sale prices so why shop anywhere else farmers face 300 million euro hit to farm payments for more in your Farmer's Journal, here's Paul Mooney. Top cap negotiator warns of payment limits for eco-schemes. Further crackdown on supply of wormers and antibiotics. We reveal how beef, dairy and sheep farmers can reap the rewards from new rep scheme. March milk league prices revealed. And will tractor drivers be forced to install tackle graphs in their cabs? Plus, your complete guide to buying a new stock bull. Inside this week's Irish Farmer's Journal. On sale now. Hi, this is Tyler Sullivan of Sullivan's Pharmacies. Just letting you know that our late night pharmacy at Dano Supervalue Mallow is now open even later until 9pm Monday to Saturday and 6pm on Sundays and public holidays. That's O'Sullivan's late night pharmacy at Dano Supervalue Mallow now open until 9pm. So I'll see you there or at our other store at Bank Place Mallow. We've got beaches, we've got parks, stunning coastline and cliff walks. Unique towns and villages with some of the most beautiful scenery in the world. We've come so far and waited so long to get out and enjoy all that County Cork has to offer. So let's not ruin it this summer. Bring your litter home with you, leave no trace on your travels. County Cork is our home. Be proud, be sound and play your part in keeping it clean. A message from Cork County Council. Follow C103 on Facebook. Join us today and stay up to date with everything happening across Cork. Simply search Facebook for C103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, as we've mentioned many times this week, we're encouraging people to please support the RNLI's May Day Mile fundraising campaign, which begins tomorrow and runs throughout the month of May. To chat about the incredible work of the lifeboats, I'm joined by Michal Hurley, who a couple of weeks ago retired after 44 years of uninterrupted service as a crew member with the RNLI in Court McSherry and Hall joins me. Good morning Jimmy Hall. Good morning Patricia. You are very welcome to the programme. 44 years service is quite a record. Can you remember when you first signed up and why? Well, uh, the summer of 1977 I had just finished uh, civil engineering at the, um, the DIN Cork RTC and I was working on the pier for the summer, kind of a holiday socialising job really and um, the DIN Coxon uh, Sam Merrins, who lived in the Coast Guard station, he came up to me one day and he said to me, uh, I say, Mike, old chap, you seem a rather splendid fellow. Would you be, he was ex-Royal Navy now, by the way, I'm taking off his accent, but, uh, and he said, would you be interested in going to sea in the lifeboat? And of course, like I grew up in the village, obviously, only like 200 metres away from the station. And to be asked to go on the lifeboat was like sort of better than winning the lottery because, you know, we looked up in awe to the people who ran to the lifeboat station when I was a schoolboy because the Maroons would be fired at that time. There was no pages in those days. 
and when you went to the station, you saw all these sort of uh, sea dogs, as we thought they were, you know, when we were only kind of knee-high. And so to be asked to go to sea with, with those type of people was was an honour in itself. And how has the work of the lifeboats changed over those 44 years, or has it changed much? Well, of course, you know, that there's the conundrum and that the, the sea is, is, as most people have found out over the last number of weeks, the sea is one of the most beautiful places and West Cork is absolutely endowed with some of the best scenery in the country. Uh, but equally, it's one of the most dangerous places, you know, you can be, obviously, and the magic of it is can sometimes hide the fact that it's a, an extremely dangerous place. And, and, you know, we've had lots of call-outs in the last number of um, bank holiday weekends. Uh, so the, the type of casualty has changed in the 44 years and that fishing has sort of gone further offshore. Some of the boats have got bigger. The trawlers um, are further out now. Uh, we don't seem to have as many night calls um, as we did 44 years ago, 50 years ago. Um, you know, people are back. Communications are better. Their family know now by 11 o'clock, hopefully, that, you know, uh, they're they should have been back at, you know, 6 o'clock in the evening. They're not back. So the alarms are raised earlier now, I think, and people are, are quite rightly more conscious of phoning in advance and, and, and ringing their relatives and saying, look, I think we might have a problem here. You you know, you could ring the Coast Guard and start arranging for a lifeboat. You know, we don't think we'll be able to get back under our own steam. So, like, unfortunately, the sea is still in its bad mood, is an evil place. Mm-hmm. And don't ever be fooled by its beauty uh, over this weekend as well now. And peace will take utmost care because it will have you in a shot if you are not equal to the task. It's an over... I mean, the, the one thing I, I assume would have changed over the 44 years as well is the physical lifeboat. Oh, in, indeed. I mean, <laughs> like we made jokes about it over the years and that, you know... Uh, we had a soul in class when I joined, uh, when I became full-time in 1988, we had a soul in class, and they said that, you know, it was a very wet boat, to use the kind of a seafaring expression, it was a very wet boat, but no matter how rough it got, it didn't get any wetter. <laughs> so, <laughs> it didn't get any wetter, that's like on a fine day like today, now it would almost be like a submarine, you know, but, but like, there was no heating, uh, the, the comfort was, was very uh, mediocre in those days, Um and now, of course, all the newer boats now have, have you know, the, the wheelhouse is heated, you know, and uh, there's fans to keep it well ventilated. So you can be quite comfortable now, especially if you're going a long distance out like a trawler. We get usually maybe two long tows every year to broken down fishing boats out about 50 miles. So it would take us, like, on average, two hours to get there but to take us maybe seven or eight or ten hours to tow them back. So it's grand then once you get the tow established, and sometimes the weather is rough, but a lot of times it could be moderate, you know, just unfortunate they picked up a rope or whatever, and you could be towing back for hours. At least now you can sit down and you can, you know, put on the, the boilers, like a mini burko boiler, and have a cup of soup and whatever, and look out. So it's a bit of comfort. bit of comfort that you need. And communications have improved. You know, um, that time, 44 years ago, VHF radio... Um, coverage by the, 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 the Coast Guard didn't exist 
in their current form then and the VHF coverage was poor and patchy. I remember uh, being out in 1981 and the radio messages had to be relayed from uh, Barry's Point to uh, Lansing in Cornwall for them to make a phone call back to Barry Row, you know, which was a bit, um, would be unheard of now because thankfully for great investment over the years by various governments, uh, the VHF coverage is some of the best in the world now around the coast with mass very frequently around now so that you know people can if they carry a portable VHF or a fixed VHF on a fishing boat they can easily contact the emergency services. Thank God thank God and looking back over the your career of 44 years some of your standout uh, call outs I know one that I think will always remain in your mind is the call out to the pleasure boat off the Seven Heads 19th of December 1981 it'll be 40 years ago this December. Talk to me about that night and what happened. Yeah, um, it was a, it's actually, you know, Corpusholy Harbour itself is, is actually quite deceptive in that, you know, when the wind is southerly or southeasterly, the harbour itself can be quite calm and can can completely mask the um, the conditions further out at sea. So when the call came that day, I happened to be walking just only, you know, half a mile down from the light bus station and uh, I ran to the light bus station and they said there's a call, there's a, a fishing boat um, or a pleasure boat after getting uh, pitch pulled, which in seamen's language is a, a boat that goes end over end, which would take extreme conditions to do that to a boat. It pitch pulled in that the boat went down into the water and, and the, the back of the boat went straight up in the air. And um, luckily, a man in the coast guard at the time, who's since deceased, he saw the boat um, uh, going up in the air and, and sinking, and he called the lifeboat. And we went out, and, and the, condition, the conditions were horrendous. I actually thought that we actually, I said, you know, the boats that were called triple diagonal timber built boats, you know, the, boat, the planks were crisscrossed to make them strong, it was like sort of like plywood, I suppose you'd call it now, like, and. Um, I remember looking out the small little porthole at the, the buoy at the mouth of the harbour and at the lamp at the mouth of the harbour and thinking, do you know, there's no way that this timber boat is going to stand the pounding we were getting because getting out over the bar, we always say here that if you can get out over the bar here in a southeasterly gale, you might have a good chance of, of surviving because that is the most dangerous part of the journey is to get out of the harbour. And so after maybe 10 minutes, quarter of an hour of plowing through these mountainous waves and banging down to me I, like I was uh, young at the time and I thought because you know we're going we're just like landing on concrete and I said there's no way a timber boat's going to stick this anyway we plowed on and ate through and then we carried out a search throughout the evening and uh, a helicopter came from Brody where the base was at the time for the uh, Royal, Royal Navy I think had a base in Brody in Wales and they came and they searched up and down the shore and no trace was found except um, you know um personal belongings of, of, of the boat. We found a sleeping bag and bits and pieces. But worse was to come, not from our point of view, but as we went to anchor for the night, then when no further searches could be carried out, word was coming in then that there was a major tragedy at um, Pinley in uh, Cornwall. You know, Pinley is almost at Land's End. It's a, a small village at the time called Mousehall or Moosel, as they pronounce it in Cornwall. And the lifeboat launched at about... Uh, 29 at night, just coming up to Christmas, obviously, and uh, they were all dead, and the eight people that they went to rescue, all 16 people were dead by about half past nine. In 40 minutes, 16 lives had been turned upside down. So I remember then the, the Coast Guard were trying to call the lifeboat um, over the course of the evening, and they were calling Pinley Lifeboat, Pinley Lifeboat, 
and there was no reply and no reply and then later on the night then you know the radio and I was crackly as I say comms were, weren't as good as they are now and the next thing we heard in that there was reports of wreckage being found um, in a cove uh, strange enough it was, it was um, a, um, a phone because I read the book several times and it was actually a British telecom uh, phone repairman rang and said he was out fixing the phone in the middle of the storm and he said like there's a ship and a lifeboat um, inside the cove you know just below us and uh, of course they knew then where, the, where they were and uh, sadly they were all asked so it's for it's But for you last. had to you and the, the crew you sat listening to what was unfolding over the radio Absolutely horrendous horrendous You'll, re- um, you'll remember that for life. Absolutely. And, you know, hopefully later on the year, we're hoping, you know, the the, the, the the four or five of us that were on the crew that night, we're hoping to go to Cornwall in um, in December um, because I imagine they'll be having a, a big uh, commemoration and a memorial service yeah. to all those people that lost, you know. But um, it, it proves once again that, you know, that the power of the sea, you know, given the conditions uh, against you, uh, the sea will have you if it, if you give it a moment, um, you know, take it for granted for a second. Yeah, and then the, uh, and, a, and a more positive one, the dramatic rescue of a gentleman called Trevor Wilson. This was the lone sailor who yes, uh, wrote the book Sailing Sailing Alone Across the Atlantic. Yeah, I think he, uh, I think Trevor tried, um, uh, that was an interesting story in itself because he had tried, I'd say maybe six times, I think, to cross the Atlantic because if you if you actually Google him, he tried, I think, from the American side once or twice, and he tried several times from the the, uh, the UK side. But he had been down when we when we got that again. It was a it was one of the few calls, you know, um, that we got on a Sunday morning at, at the time when when we were at uh, in mass, and it was one of the few calls we got at any time that interrupted a religious service. But anyway, we headed off anyway, and, and lucky enough, it wasn't that far. Uh, it was probably up to uh, storm 12 conditions, which is probably, the, you know, almost the top of the scale of what we get around here anyway. And uh, But strangely enough, actually, I know, again, testament to the boat builders and, and the fundraisers who pay for us, uh, the boat we had, the twin class was fantastic. And uh, we, like, obviously, we had a lot, of, um, a lot of banging and belting for the hour and a half to get out to his location. But there was a Spanish trawler had picked up his faint radio call because he had lost his, radio, his main radio, uh, two weeks, he was drifting for two weeks. He was down as far as uh, Madeira on his journey to America, and uh, when he uh, he drifted in, and uh, he had no means of cooking and all this type of thing, he drifted aimlessly for for virtually ten days to to fourteen days, and he said he saw the old head the night before, but then the tide changed and the wind changed, and he went back offshore again. And eventually then he saw a boat close by. But we were so close to that trawler, it was like having a next-door neighbour now, a trawler as a next-door neighbour. <laughs> but all we could see of the Spanish trawler was the top of the aerials of his, of his radio aerials. My when goodness. He was, when he was, um, you know, like the Ben Madison song, Down in the Hollow. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's all we could see. And we, we got close to him and we thought about for a few minutes about um, towing and Dan Odeware was the coxswain at the time and did a great job and get here alongside. And we did consider various options of trying to get a tow, but he was in no fit condition to attach a rope for us. So eventually we decided to, to, to take rescue him. Off yeah, to and, rescue him. Um, and brought him in. But, the, you know, he was taken by ambulance to Cork. And anyway, uh, make a shot so long, he came back to Coppershire that night and I put him up for the night and and all he wanted to do you know like I was wrecked after the day 
and all he wants to do was tell us the story of his four previous attempts and um and William Morty, I will, or oh, said, and so, uh, uh, but he was a fantastic. And I said, "What did you do for a living originally?" Oh, he said, "I was in the Royal Marines, you know." And uh, like he was as tough as nails. He had taken the the um, sleeves off his uh, jumpers and and modified them to use them as socks because a lot of his clothes had got soaked with it. He had gone completely 360 degrees down by Madeira two weeks before. A lucky so man, well. a lucky man to be alive only, uh, and again showing the importance of the of the lifeboat and I know he wrote about the the fact that he was saved and his thanks uh, to all of you on, on the lifeboat in his book which is called Sailing Alone Across the Atlantic and then there was another rescue that you did that ended up actually putting Court McSherry on the map but it was what happened afterwards rather than the rescue itself this is the boat called the Yacht, the Karma of the East, that went on fire in July of 1991. Yeah, and and the gas thing about it, you know, the, you, you mentioned earlier on about my 44 years, but like the, the, it's it's is it 30 years now for this year that that is 1991. Yeah, yeah, 30 yeah, years and, in July, and, and it, it only seems like you know if you ask me, I'd have said like 15 years ago, but. <laughs> 30 years ago, we got a, a sort of a routine call enough. The t- conditions were good enough. And uh, we towed the yacht in and uh, um, nothing untoward, really. I knew one of the crew just by accident from Kinsale and where, where we were up the West Coast and so on and so forth. And we towed them in and put them alongside. And we went away about our business. And um, about two hours later, anyway, um, uh, all media broke loose, anyway, that the yacht, uh, the customs... Um, called down for a routine check and said, you know, what's the story here? And um, they found the £7.5 million at the time of uh, cannabis resin on board under under the bed and in various places around the earth. So, of course, um, obviously then the whole village was, was, was chock-a-block for the evening. Then were various news people and photographers and guardi and customs and security cordons and so on and so forth. And... Uh, a few of us then subsequently then were summoned into the trial eventually took place then about five years later and you know that was uh, a sag in itself you know to see how the legal system works and so on and so forth but uh, it, it, I mean obviously we've been eclipsed many times since by uh, catches off Castledown Bear and off uh, down off the Mizzen Peninsula uh, massive quantities and so you don't ever know you know when you let go the, the moorings above and, and hit the sea you don't ever know what the circumstances what you're going to you know we, we don't ever judge of of the rights and wrongs of what people do our job is to bring people ashore safely uh, regardless of nationality religion or whatever well done, well done. You're, the, you're there to save you're there to you're save there to save so you don't ever know what twists or turns can can happen in your day you will unfold that. afterwards yeah actually there's a lovely text in saying best wishes to Court McSherry lifeboat crew we will never forget their kindness and that's from the Burke family in Mill Street who I think have gone on to be um, and that was their, their their son they lost their son in, in, oh, in a tragedy yeah, indeed. Yeah. and uh, they've gone on I know to do so much fundraising for the Court McSherry uh, lifeboat they do so, indeed yeah, they're, so. they're, you know because it's sometimes hard you know to get um fundraising sort of active uh, in inland places, you know, and they live in Mill Street and they've been very loyal over the years to us ever since that tragedy and, and help, help us raise money and bring the, you know, because lots of people think, you know, the strange thing about it, we all think, you know, we grew up with it, as I say, and we see boats all our life, but lots of people think in from inland areas that 
I'll never be needing the lifeboat. You know, I don't mm. go to sea. I'm not a sa- professional sailor, you know, and yet the actual opposite is the case because, you know, the 50% of people that were rescued last year by lifeboats around the coast of, of the UK and Ireland never intended to get go in the water at all. They were, you know, so again, coming up to this weekend, I'd caution people again, hill walkers, coastal walkers, people who their dog runs into the water, and they said, oh, he's going to drown, and they're going after him. It's happening with increasing regularity, so I would stress again, coming up to this weekend especially, you may never intend to be a sailor, you're never going to take part in the fastest race, but, you know, always be always be conscious of where you are. You're, you, lots of the lovely paths that wave around now, both the Seven Heads and all throughout West Cork are fabulous, you know, but be careful where you're going. Don't think, I've got to go down this path here now. Uh, you don't know what the conditions are like, and, you know, uh, so loads of people. So it's great to see that, you know, fundraising moving inland because lots of those people, unfortunately, throughout their lifetime will need the RNLI and will need Commissary Lifeboat and the other lifeboats of, of the coast of Ireland. Yeah, well said. Well, well and as we, as you've mentioned, you know, the, the the sea is beautiful and we love it and all that, but never forget the power of uh, the sea. I was I read something interesting about you and I'm wondering, is it a record? You visited all the 238 RNLI lifeboat stations in the UK. You've personally visited all of them. Well, a good, uh, we set up a bit of a kind of a, I, I suppose this, this is probably a social group we set up in, in uh, we were asked to go to Cornwall to a concert for the, in celebration of the lifeboat mint, it was another link now to Pinley, but uh, to, to go to a concert in Truro Cathedral and we were asked to bring over a, a, a few singers, you know, and we are never found wanting there if we get any encouragement at all, and so we said we'd go and we, as we were there, we went to, the, to a few lifeboat stations, um, you know, new key, you know, up the coast, and we went to Padstow, and we thought, that's, you know, it's very interesting, you know, the things you see and the comparisons that you can make and the pluses that we have on our side, and sometimes, you know, maybe not pluses, but, you know, uh, take it all as a package, you, 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 you learn something everywhere. And we thought, God, we'll, go, we'll do that again. So we, we started to organise it then the following year, and we then over a course of 15, 16 years, we visited every lifeboat station from, from <laughs> Jersey in the south, in the Channel Islands, to... Uh, the Shetland Islands in the north, which is, you know, further north than Bergen uh, in Norway. Uh, it's a long way north and, and all, every station in the UK. Well done. The Isle of Man, every, and, you know, if this is any comfort to people, you know, who sometimes, you know, we can we can find fault with everything in Ireland, everything is this and that and the other. And, uh, and what we were amazed at, but that the, the lucky position that we are here in Corpusary Lifeboat and in other stations around us, is that we have a waiting list of people wanting to join the crew. Uh, you know, as soon as they get 17, 18, they're, they're on to the secretary, the law, as he's called now. Uh, is there any chance I could put my name down, give me a forum, I'd like to join the crew. Napoleon. And we were in stations, in, amongst all those stations, now we were in stations that had advertisements in the local newspapers and the local free sheets and in posters in the window. Would you like to join our team? Much bigger places than Corbusory, much bigger places than Baltimore and Castle Dunbar, and they were desperate to get crew. Sometimes, instead of a panel of 30, they had only a bear, maybe 10, maybe, you know, and so then with holidays or sicknesses or people that walking That puts away. pressure on all the volunteers then, So that's yeah. the one thing we learned, and, and, you know, we thought here, you know, that sometimes our infrastructure, we, we, we complain about it and whatever, and we can say, because, you know, we went to places with sort of, you know, poorer peers than, you know, uh, we often think that, you know, 
within reason, we're reasonably well served by the way our peers are, are looked after, you know, and what they'll be probably Michael Collins, he knows probably on the phone out here straight away. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the, uh, there are, that we have a great infrastructure and and you know a great team of people who are willing to volunteer and help out. But you know, and uh, families behind that team of volunteers who correct. allow their loved ones to to go out and do, and do the incredible work that you do. Yeah, because you know it's very easy for us to be there and we there and have our photograph in the paper or whatever and saying we did this that and other. But we mustn't forget that behind all that there is a fantastic team of family volunteer fundraisers. Mm. It's been curtailed, obviously, with the COVID now, and you know I would encourage people to try and get involved in the May Day campaign now to try and replace some of the the millions that have been lost. You know, because it's quite expensive to run uh, a life station. You know, the the fuel alone every year, the 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 build costs of the new Shannon that will be coming here in a couple of years' time will be close to two million. Yeah. You know, and uh, the fundraisers and the designers and the maintenance people who. who put that fantastic facility under the volunteer crew and and you know the volunteer crew are very appreciative of that that it doesn't happen you know we can all go up with our, our chest strutted out saying oh, you know, I'm a lifeboat man and I go to sea but there is a massive team and effort and people that give money in their wills that people stand outside in the days when they could do it stand outside churches with the collection buckets and go to shopping centres on certain days this all adds to the mix of the health it's a team it's a, it's, a, it's a big team but you guys who go out to sea are the real heroes before I let you go when you mentioned uh, you that you like to sing a song were you part of the Phil Cool tour the, the Home from the Sea song I was actually yeah, hey, hey. I remember a lot of my son Des Bateman was the secretary at the time and he came down I say it must have been about 1990 again now like where you know, everything is years upon years ago but, and he said to me uh, the, the Yarn and I are putting together Phil Cooter started writing a song you know because he had his own personal tragedies involving his family He lost uh, his yeah. brother wasn't it? Yeah above yeah. in in, in, in Loxwilly yeah. in Gall, and he said he'd love to do something so we went to Dublin we had two because we recorded in case anyone you know, people think that you know that I never recorded an album just to put him back in their box or you recorded in the same studio as you too Hey and actually yeah, I've so. just seen I have to take a quick break but we're going to play uh, Phil Coulter and Home from the Sea I've got to leave it there Michael I mean, Hall. it's yeah, been a sorry. real real pleasure uh, Patricia before you go could, yeah. I, could I do a, ask me a favour uh, my neighbour of only five doors up uh, Mrs Crowley is 101 tomorrow Oh happy birthday Mrs Crowley and we wish her the very best from our neighbours down the street. Will indeed. And we, we will play Home from the Sea, especially for her. Michal, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And thank you to, for, to Stephen in Court Mac uh, saying how much he enjoyed Michal's uh, interview and says Michal has been a fantastic servant to the RNLI. Michal mentioned May Day, the fundraiser that's going on for the RNLI. It kicks off tomorrow and runs right across this uh, the month of May. Uh, Court Mac Harbour Lifeboat Fundraising Chairperson, that's Paul Finn. Paul Finn is taking part in the RNLI May Day Mile by walking five miles every day for the month of May. Well done to you, Paul. All funds will go to the vital work of the RNLI. LI uh, donations will be gratefully appreciated and you can get more information on what Paul is doing by going to Paul Finn's Facebook page Good luck to Paul and indeed everybody fundraising for the RNLI across the month of May Now a post up on Facebook 
from Sam's Gala in Dunmanway looking for part-time staff, teenagers, to get a little bit of summer work, caught our eye. And I want to read the post to you. And it reads as follows. What we do not want are daddies asking for a job for their son because he's a big strapping lad, is a good fo- footballer, feeds the neighbours goldfish when they're on holidays and he cuts the lawn every Saturday. Mammies asking for a job for their daughter and telling us how great she is around the house, emptied the dishwasher at Christmas, cleans her bedroom every Saturday, loves meeting new people, yet she's sitting outside in the car while Mammy's in looking for the job. People coming in, handing in their CVs over the counter and running out the door like Paddy Cullen, running back into the goal in 1978 to catch Mikey Sheehy's free. People who cannot work on Sundays. Why? Because it's their next door neighbour's third cousin's first communion. People asking for a job instead of asking for work. Countries full of people with jobs who don't do a tap of work. What we do want are teenagers who want to make the transition from pocket money to earning their own to come into the shop unaccompanied by their parents, asked to speak with Noreen or Colm and simply tell us why they want to work for the summer. Top tip, by the way, my mother doesn't want me hanging around the house for the summer. Our daddy told me to call down. They're not the correct answers. Uh, Colm O'Sullivan is the owner of Sam's Gala and uh, who put the post together and he joins me. Good afternoon to you, Colm. Patricia, good afternoon. Fantastic post. Fantastic post. Uh, What reaction are you getting? Um... Actually, the, the, the reaction has been fantastic and the applicants have been phenomenal. And to be fair, a lot of people have taken up what is this tongue-in-cheek with a small bit of seriousness in there. Um, I've experienced all except the goldfish was just a bit of poetic license and everything else we've encountered <laughs> over the last few years. And does it just annoy you that the, the mammies and the daddies come in rather than the son or daughter themselves? You want them to show their own initiative? I, I think yes, yeah. I, I think yes. I, I, I have teenagers myself, right? And they took a decision at the age of about 14 to distance themselves from myself and my wife. You know, they, they think they're adults then at that stage. So I think go in and fend for yourself. Get a job and look for it yourself. They'll appreciate it an awful lot more if they had to go out for the first time in their lives and go looking for work. And get it and experience work for the first time in their life, experience having to open a bank account. And then come to realisation that actually there are such things as PRSI and universal social charges and tax. And all of a sudden, in the space of two weeks, they've got a serious reality check. That's what I'm aiming for. Do you accept, though, that you can have some young lads and lassies who are just painfully shy at that age and may need mammy or daddy to come in, even just to say, look, Johnny or Mary, they'll pop in later. You don't have an aversion to somebody doing that. No, I don't. Absolutely not. And to be fair, a lot of those people I've seen, down through the years, they will actually grow within the role and it doesn't do the world of good. You know, everybody is. 90% of people are very shy on meeting anybody for the first time. I understand that. I appreciate that. And if, look, if it's only a case of the parents saying it or letting us know, listen, they may not look you in the eye. I do believe they're full of enthusiasm. They may not express it very well. I'd be glad to meet them. It's not a sit down. We're not going through any kind of a rigorous interview with um, you know, followed by any exams or tests or anything or psychometric tests, just come in and have a chat. Tell us why you want to work. Yeah, what are the qualities that you look for in a young person? <clears throat> i tell you what, Patricia, based off what, what we have encountered over the last two or three days, one of the things I hadn't realised, and I have great respect for this and great appreciation for this, the TY this year, the transition year, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the reason that, that kids opted to take that was because it was going to be a chance to experience 
actual work experience as part of the TY course because of the, the restrictions around COVID. That didn't happen for a lot of them. I hadn't thought of that at all. And a few of them have said to me, listen, I was looking forward to working this year and experiencing work. I didn't get it. And I'd really love this. And look, if there's people saving up to get driving lessons and two girls told me honestly that the clothes that they want, they can't afford on the pocket money. I appreciate that. I respect that. They're the type of qualities rather than uh, my mother and mommy hanging around the house. <laughs> I loved the line and I'm interested in where did it come from. People asking for a job instead of asking for work. The country is full of people with jobs who don't do a tap of work. Where did that come from? That came from, would you believe, my dad years ago when I was about 13 or 14 and he had said to me, he said, look, you have to be proactive about this. There's no point waiting until the 31st of May when you're coming home with your woodwork projects under your arm and all the art that you did in school to decide to go looking for a job. He said, you need to be out before everybody else in May. And he said, under no circumstances go anywhere looking for a job. It's work you're looking for. So the country's full of lads, he says, with jobs that don't do any work. And that has always stuck with me ever since. It's a great line. It's like, it really is a great a great line. And so true, unfortunately. It so, is, actually. So are you now a victim of your own success in that you are oversubscribed? Yeah, which is not what I had expected or anticipated at all. And I would love to give everybody a job. And to be fair, I'll tell you what, what we're endeavouring to do, Tricia. Um, if, if I go back to Celtic Tiger times when my, my own teenagers were born, I googled as to what level of pocket money you give kids. And the benchmark was, it seemed to be a euro for every year of their age. Mm. That was great. Yeah, yeah. I made a bit more money myself, and they were all five and six. When they got to the teenage stage, and I realised I was dropping 50 quid a week, which is in excess of 2,500 euro a year, which is about 4,000 euro of my gross salary, I thought, whew. So even if they went out and worked for five or six or seven hours a week, and got 50 or 60 euro. It's an exponential increase on the 10 euro or 15 euro pocket money that the parents were giving them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's what I would love to. I, I looked, we've met some fabulous, fabulous people and look, all their reasons and their rationale, I admire and I respect. I would, have, I would love to have jobs for all of them. Do you know what I particularly liked about your post as well? The fact that you didn't want the mammies or the daddies coming in, who obviously would be people that you know, maybe people you've done business with, you know, friends or whatever. You're not interested in who these kids' mammy and daddies are or what their surnames are. No, oh God, that's no, great. I think that is great. I will, I will take them on their own merit. Look, they're coming in, and I know from my own kids, they start, they start believing their adults from the age of 14 or 15, right? And I feel sorry for some of them. They're coming in with CVs. Look, I'm not disrespecting curriculum vitae's, but when you see that they have six medals for Irish dancing and a certificate for tin whistle, you know, I know they struggled to write that down and it was probably on on the parents' advice to write down their achievements. I want to see them being able to write a second page on their CV that has moved on from your personal and your educational experience to date. And then they can say, actually, here's my employment history. Yeah, well done. And they've just... Well done. well done and I hope a lot of other businesses will, will follow suit and, and give kids a chance as well it's, it's, so that's some, what it's all about some fantastic kids that are brilliant some, some of the ones that, and I actually sorry I don't and I ain't been disrespectful calling them kids there are a lot of people come in that were taller than I was well they have to talk for themselves you know <laughs> fine strapping young lads and lasses actually <laughs> they were yes they were actually <laughs> alright listen uh, Colm and how, how are we getting on at Sam's Garland oh man were you busy we're getting on great thanks Thankfully, yeah, just lockdown gave everybody a chance like us to showcase what we have yeah. and hopefully it will reap dividends 
long term. Please God, please God. Listen, stay safe and thanks a million for joining us. Thank you very much indeed. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. Colm O'Sullivan there of Sam Scala in Domamway. As I say, we just thought the post up on Facebook, it caught our eye. Okay, just some of your texts in. Uh, Patricia, have you any update on when coffee shops will open? Now, uh, coffee shops to me will be tied in with pubs and restaurants for sit down. Obviously, coffee shops are open doing takeaway. That that will continue. So it's the 7th of June to be able to sit down inside in a uh, coffee shop and says Patricia after getting the first Covid injection how soon after will I be called for my second I'm waiting to get my first one at the vaccination centre in Mallow my husband got his second shot four weeks after the first but he went to his own GP now obviously if your husband got it four weeks after the first then he either got the Pfizer or the Moderna and if you're going to the vaccination centre because you're in the 60 to 69 category then you will be getting the AstraZeneca which means you'll get your first job and then you'll wait 12 weeks to be called back but after three weeks they're now saying that the vaccination bonus kicks in for people with AstraZeneca but it's 12 weeks is what you will wait for. Uh, Hi Patricia what is wrong with this government not opening the barbers and the hairdressers until the 10th of May. They should be opening them now and let the hairdressers get on with it and by God hairdressers are going to be busy are they not for a number of uh, weeks. John says listening to my piece that I did on the ghost ship which went on fire yesterday in Ballycotton. John says why waste time fooling around with this abandoned ship? Why aren't the army brought in and blow it out of the water? We are a stupid nation for wasting money, says John. Well, John, I'm assuming you can't blow it out of the water because of the environmental impact it will have. Now, there is a problem as to into how they're going to get rid of this because it's huge. It's a really, really big uh, vessel. I know I read somewhere that it the removal, there's fears the removal will end up costing eight million. But And I'm sure it, it, it's very simple, simplistic way to say, could they not just go out and blow it up? But think of the environmental impact that it would have in the area. But you are right about taxpayers' money. It could be up to eight million to get rid of it, which is a huge, huge sum. Hi, Patricia. When you go for to the vaccination centre, you have to have a photo ID with you. I don't have one. What do I do? Says a West Cork listener. And I checked, and you are right, when you're going to any of the vaccination centres you can only turn up with an appointment and you will not be vaccinated if you don't have an appointment and if you don't bring photo ID with you so I'm scratching my head trying to think of what you can do you obviously don't have a passport and you obviously don't have a driver's licence do you have a public service card because there's a photograph on the back of that and if you don't have a public service card and have absolutely nothing to identify who you are by photo ID I would suggest you put a call through to the HSE and explain the predicament that you're in uh, because you, I don't know if you've got an appointment date yet or if you've just registered and you're waiting on your appointment date but I would be doing it today rather than waiting until you have the appointment date and you know they might be able to flag your particular appointment to explain that you don't have photo ID or they may be able to come up with some suggestion for you maybe call into a guard the station could you have some photographs signed to show who you are I don't know ring the HSE has that happened to anybody else who needs to go for vaccination who doesn't have photo ID. Anybody got suggestions as to what this West Cork listener could do? And then there was a text in earlier, and my apologies, I'm only getting to it now, from Anne to say, Patricia, Anne, I'm Anne in Mallow. I'm wondering, my 30-year-old daughter, her special needs, is in a residential facility in Cork. At the moment, 
you can, she cannot visit home. I can visit her, but only through a window visit. She would normally be home every single weekend. She has got one vaccine. Up to now, special needs adults seem to be the forgotten in society. I'm in my 50s. I can't seem to be able to get uh, a vaccine, says uh, um, when will things improve for my special needs daughter? I'm not interested in the shops. I'm not interested in going to hairdressers. not interested in going for a pint or anything like that. I just want her to have a better life. That's just completely heartbreaking. Okay, the fact you're in your 50s, um, the registration portal will open next week. So you will be able to register next week and then in the coming weeks you'll get called for your vaccination. I'm really taken aback that you're, you're still only getting window visits with your daughter. And certainly from next Monday, uh, nursing home visits and residential facilities like what your daughter in, uh, your daughter is in. The visits are increasing from two. There are two at the moment, and I'm not talking about window visits. I'm talking about going in to see your daughter, and they increase to four from next week. Now that has to be where eighty percent of the residents are fully vaccinated. You say your daughter has got her first vaccination. If she's past the three weeks mark, they should be slightly easing things uh, for you. I would get back onto them and say, look, they're. There's Neffert have announced changes to advice for residential from next Monday. Uh, what's going on and why can't I visit? I'm not saying that your daughter will be allowed home. Maybe when you're vaccinated and, and you're both fully vaccinated, you might get into the situation where you're able to bring her home. But certainly, I think at this stage, if she has, she's already started on the road to vaccination. If she's certainly three weeks past getting the first vaccination, I think you should be entitled to more than a visit just through a window at this stage. So I would call them and uh, I would uh, start making a little bit of noise uh, because what's the, the squeaky wheel and all of that and the, the loudest child gets listened to. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. So Vincent de Paul have a collection van in place as we speak at Dunstore's car park in Bishopstown. They're there until half past three this afternoon. Looking for donations please must be bagged clean clothing shoes curtains soft furnishing and toys all being accepted I want to wish the very best of luck to Elaine Hennessy and Carmelo Gorman they're looking for your support in their bid to raise funds for the Cork Mental Health Foundation they're doing their sleep out uh, tomorrow Uh, it's to watch the sun well it's tonight into tomorrow because they're going to watch the sunrise tomorrow morning on the 1st of May and we'll light a candle in memory memory of those lost to mental health issues the best of luck uh, to them and the members of the Hennessy family and O'Gorman family doing that sleep out you can support them by donating online at www.corkmentalhealth.com and the RNLI's May Day campaign as we spoke about in the last hour kicks off tomorrow runs throughout the month Lifesavers are calling on supporters please to join the May Day Mile cover the distance for the charity in any way you choose and it's to raise vital funds to help lifeboat crews continue their work to sign up for the May Day Mile or to make a donation in support of the RNLI's Lifesavers visit rnli.org 
forward slash Mayday. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now the Sunday Times will unveil a new supplement next Sunday called Home. It will include top coverage on property, including the market both in Ireland and overseas, plus a range of content on eco and sustainable living, food and travel. And joining me to preview the very first edition is best-selling Irish author and journalist Ethna Shortall, who has been appointed editor of Home. Good afternoon, Jethna. Hi, good afternoon. And you're very welcome. Do you feel this supplement is very timely? Because with lockdowns, we're all spending more and more time at home than we've ever done in previous years. Exactly. And it's borne out that this sort of newfound appreciation for our homes, but also you, you notice the difference that a little change can make to your mood because we've, we've been in our home so much. And like for me, I took to gardening with more enthusiasm than I had ever done before in the past year. And I guess like just unwarranted satisfaction out of seeing something grow. Um, but people did up little parts of their house. They repainted a wall, you know, or or maybe you didn't do anything new, but you realise your home is a sanctuary and it's actually is something that you're very grateful for. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's born out of that. And then also, as we are hopefully going forward, we're going to reopen and be able to go places. So, we're you know, we're going to do travel and restaurant reviews and, you know, the travel will mainly concentrate on domestic travel because that's what we can do at the moment but we'll all just be so delighted to be able to go somewhere but keeping that appreciation for home and the fact that things have changed um, Mm. sizably now I mean I think a lot of people will continue to work from home and so we'll continue to spend more time in their houses and we'll want to get the most out of it so yeah Yeah and I think for some people as well they might have realised that suddenly their home is either too small or too big for their needs so you're going to have people buying and and looking to buy a new property and indeed selling their own homes. Exactly. And there's a few aims at the section that kind of cover that. Like the first one is nosiness. So I want, you know, I love uh, nosying around other people's homes. So do I. Um, <laughs> yeah. And be that going to someone's house for dinner for the first time or be it like home of the year or, you know, or even in, in the newspaper. So we're going for that, that you can kind of snoop around other people's houses and maybe get some ideas for your own and see what you might change up. So like for the first issue, we have Susie McAdam, who is a, she was a judge on Home of the Year this year. So we're going inside her house to see what it's like. And we have the TV presenter, Maya Dunphy, on uh, talking about her house. And, you know, so there's that. And then there's also usefulness. So things that you can do around your own house. So we have like a how to, to lay your own patio, you know, DIY jobs we can do ourselves, how to grow flowers in the shade, which is something I very much need to know because most of my garden is in the shade. And then hopefully it's also a little bit inspiring. Like So people that took to DIY during lockdown that thought they couldn't use a drill before or just absolutely gorgeous houses. And our, our main house this week is actually a house in Cork um, on the River Bandon that was it's just an architectural dream. So we've got three pages of pictures of that. So yeah, if people are feeling a bit tired with their own houses, hopefully they'll get ideas. Yeah, and get get, get inspired. And it's interesting when you say people doing jobs uh, around uh, the house. For, for many people, they're working at home. And even yesterday, Michal Martin saying to people, we still want you to work from home at least until yeah. uh, September. Creating the perfect home office. That's important yeah. and it, it can be it can be tricky. Absolutely, and that's something we're going to be looking at in future weeks because, 
you know, like not everyone has the space to dedicate a whole room to to working from. If you do, that's great. And other people have to find a nook in a home. So we're talking to interior designers about, you know, what's the best thing you can do with your use of space, be it small or be it large. Because, yeah, this this is the future, you know. Not everyone's going to return to the office or or they might return a couple of days a week and then they'll be working from home. And that seems to be what most people want. So, like, everything has changed forever, even if we do go back to quote-unquote normal. And, yeah, that's what we're hoping to cater for. Do you think some people struggle working from home? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, the social isolation. I think the ideal is that you do a bit of both. That's what I'll be aiming for myself, and I think that's, that's what I'll be allowed to do. Um, because there is something to be said for, you know, a bit of a commute. Now, I don't have a long commute, and I'm on the bike, which is for me is very enjoyable. But if you get that little separation between home and work, and, you know, if it's a longer commute, and you only do that one or two days a week. And there's a camaraderie in colleagues, um, once you don't hate them, and you get to see them, you know. <laughs> like, it is nice, and, and actually probably some people appreciate that in a way that they didn't before. I think for a lot of people, it'll be finding a balance. Yeah, and the other one that some of our listeners this morning were disappointed that gyms are not going to reopen until June. People were hoping gyms would have been re- reopening as early as mm. next week. People are working out at, at at home and so the home has almost become like a gym for some. It is. And now, personally, very personally, that would not appeal to me. But I know that other people love doing that. I would rather it be outside. I'm currently seven and a bit month pregnant so I'm not doing a lot of strenuous oh. exercise but, <laughs> but I would if I could I'd be running in the park you know and that like there's that appreciation for the area within the, the 5k you know within our homes like I, I've never appreciated my park as much and when we bought our house a couple of years ago it, it wasn't really relevant to us that it was near a park and now it's, it's just it's such a blessing so yeah there will be working out from home but they'll also we'll also look at exercise you know, that you can do outdoors on your own or, or, or when, uh, you know, small groups are allowed to gather again for exercise. We'll be looking at that as well. So, yeah, we're going to try to cover as much as possible. We've had to up the first issue by several pages because we were trying to shove everything in. But um, hopefully we'll get it all in in the next few weeks. OK. And what about from, from your own book's point of view? Did you write a book during lockdown? I, I did. Did and you? I never found it so difficult. So this, wow. I, uh, I published three books. And so I wrote my fourth book over the past year and it was like getting blood from a stone that had already been through several transfusions. I I, I struggled so much and I think, like I have a kid so I didn't find that I had extra time. I, we just didn't have childcare so I actually had less time. Um, so that was a factor but also inspiration, like creativity and not just in a professional sense but for everyone I think you missed that you know, overhearing snippets of conversations in cafes because, well, for a long time, cafes weren't open and then you weren't allowed to stand close enough to someone to overhear the conversation. And I, in my book, that stuff is so useful. And I was devoid of it. And also, I tried to make my book sort of humorous and I didn't find the year funny. Anyway, I got there in the end, but it was a slog. And when, 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 when is that due out? Uh, February of next year. Okay. All right. Well, we look forward to that. Listen, uh, Edna, pleasure uh, talking to you. Good luck with home. It's in the first edition is in in, this Sunday's Sunday Times. Okay. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us.
Thanks. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Edna Shortall joining us, who has been appointed editor of Home, a brand new supplement contained in the Sunday Times Irish edition. 1850 We were talking about young people going looking for work and Colm asking people, don't send the mammy and daddy in, let the young fella, the young girl herself go in and look for the job. Uh, somebody says, hi Patricia, uh, what does Colm think? He is, young people can be very very nervous about getting new jobs. There's no harm in the parent asking. Well, he did say that. He did say, and he's very aware of shyness on young people. And he did say he doesn't see anything wrong with the parent coming in saying, look, my Johnny or Mary might be in afterwards. But it's the actual parent going in saying, would you give a job to while the child is sitting out in the car or the son or daughter didn't even take the time to come in. I mean, that I think was the point he was making. And then John in Blackpool says, I was born back in the 50s. Back in 1969, I walked into a garage. I want to be a mechanic. You had to be 16 years of age to be a mechanic. I lied about my age. I told the manager that I was born the previous year than I actually was. I was only 15. Anyway, I got the job, started my apprenticeship two days later. Happy days. Different era, different time uh, for sure. Uh, Michael says, uh, how are you Patricia? I'd say the lady who doesn't have photo ID would probably be told to go get a public services card. They are doing public services card for essential purposes only as far as I know this obviously getting your vaccination would be deemed uh, essential so she, if she hasn't got her appointment maybe she needs to look into that straight away yeah that was the that's exactly the advice I was given for her to do something about it now uh, today I would be suggesting that she rings the HSE just to find out how you get around it because it's clearly stated you will not get a vaccine unless you have an appointment at the vaccination centre and you must have a photo ID uh, with you OK going to take a break and we're back talking movies with Mark Malone Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And when we were talking about doing up homes and that new supplement in the Sunday Times, Mike says, Patricia, I'm doing up my grandmother's cottage on the farm, doing it bit by bit by myself, no mortgage. I do a bit when I have a few bob. Well done, Mike. You sound like a handyman to have around the house. Good luck with that. Our pub says another texture to reopen on the 7th of June for indoor drinking. No, uh, indoor on the 7th of June, pubs and restaurants uh, will reopen for outdoor service and we don't have a date for indoor dining uh, yet unless it's in a hotel but that is a different ball game. Okay I want to turn my attention to the movies Mark Malone uh, joining me Good afternoon to you Mark Hi Patricia. And you're very welcome. Okay two movies for Sound of Metal and Stowaway and I have to say Sound of Metal is the movie I have on my watch list for this weekend so I'm interested to hear what this is all about. Here's the trailer You sound great Yeah right. What? You're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, let's play tomorrow and see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me. You have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. found a place. I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. We're looking for a solution to to this. Not this. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I need you to wait for me, okay? You're in for me. You're my heart. You're in for me, okay? You gotta wait for me. Okay, that's a trailer from uh, Sound of uh, Metal and obviously from that this is to do with somebody losing their hearing uh, and the whole area of cochlear implants. Uh, yeah, this stars uh, Reese Ahmed and uh, Olivia Cook, who are two English actors uh, playing American here and uh, doing a very good job, I'm glad to be able to say. And um, they're in a band, a band very similar kind of to the White Stripes, only they kind of, uh, they're, they're, they've kind of switched. Uh, he does the drums and uh, Olivia Cook here, who plays the character of Lou, she uh, does the singing. And they're a heavy group. They're kind of a heavy metal group and they make an awful lot of noise. And um, as they're playing, they're on tour. They don't really make a huge amount of money. They kind of live in and out of kind of, a, kind of an RV. And, uh, and that's how they make their living. They're a touring band, just the two of them. And um, one night as they're playing, he begins to notice that uh, every now and then he's kind of a little slightly offbeat and she notices and she kind of turns back and kind of gives him a little kind of a stare as if, you know, what, what was that all about? That was a bit odd. And as the tour goes on, all of a sudden he begins to realise that um, he doesn't hear particularly well. And he begins to think, well, it's obviously just blocked ears, that's all it is, you know, a bit of wax in the ears, there can't really be anything else. Uh, so he goes to a local chemist and the chemist looks at him and goes, no way, you have got to go to the doctor. Because by now, he can pretty much hear nothing. Now, this was uh, nominated, by the way, for Best Film um, and Best Sound in the Oscars uh, the other night, and it won for Best Sound. And I'm glad to be able to say that it did, because, you know, sound is one of those kind of awards that kind of people tend not to kind of think about and kind of ignore. But in fact, uh, what the people, of course, not the, the sound effects people here, what they had to do is, of course, they had to give us the impression of uh, what's in his head and what he hears. And so therefore, that must have been a very, very difficult thing to do. They obviously had to sit around and think about it. And that is terrific 
perfectly done and very, very well done indeed. So um, credit to the sound designers here for doing a really, really terrific job. So he realizes that um, the doctor says, look, you know, you're down at around 24% on each ear. So basically, you've just got to stop. You can't have noise. You know, you, you've, you've got to try and hang on to what, in fact, you have. So as you can imagine... He doesn't deal with it particularly well. He's a former addict, and so therefore the kind of monkey on that is on his back all of the time. The shadow of heroin is uh, looming over him constantly. And so therefore he's in that kind of position where he once he realizes that his hearing is going. And of course, there's a very, very good chance that, you know, he will have to stop doing the thing he loves most, and that is making uh, music. So the film is really about his, his anger, his initial anger, as you could imagine, because he feels as though, you know, life has uh, d dealt him a, a wrong deal here because, you know, he can never, can't do what he wants to do and, and the love of his life is music. So his agent says to him, look, there is this place, it's called, it's, it's a retreat where people very much like you sit around and talk and talk about the anger of, of, of becoming deaf. And Paul Racy, who's an actor who I don't really know very much about, but who is absolutely terrific here. He is the man who um, runs the retreat. He, in real life, actually, in this film, but by the way, he's a Vietnam vet who has lost his hearing. In reality, he was a Vietnam vet, and also both parents were deaf, so therefore he, American, he can American Sign Language. And so therefore, he very, very much early on says to him, you must not think about this as a disability. This is just a new stage in your life. And it's how you deal with it from then on is the way in which you will be able to get on with your life. Because the rage and the anger that you're uh, experiencing at the moment is not progressive and it's not acceptable. And so therefore he invites him to stay at the retreat and meet other people that are very, very similar to him. And nearby school for deaf children, for example, they, um, they mix with them a lot. And so therefore he is sent there to, to, to learn language, to, to learn American Sign Language. And what's very interesting is that his very first days he's sitting in amongst all of these kids Kids. Um, the teacher says, we are not here to teach you how to sign. We are here to teach you how to live. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of wonderful. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening throughout the whole film. There's a lovely point where he t tries to teach the kids uh, how to drum and it's completely off the cuff. It's all, it's all, it was just made up on the spot. And that is beautiful to kind of see. And Reese Ahmed, well, he put so much effort into this. He, he learned American Sign Language for this. And he also learned drums for this. Looks the part. He's got blonde hair. Uh, you know, he's got the body of a drummer. So he's obviously worried. And it's, he is absolutely terrific in this film. I mean, every single ounce of pain and depression and anger it's all there on screen and he is absolutely terrific and i love the way too they use the sign language because very early on they don't now you can turn on captions by the way I, this was on amazon prime you can turn on and off the captions i left them off okay. because in the early part of the film because when they are trying to communicate him with sign language he doesn't understand it he doesn't he hasn't learned it yet so and neither have i i don't know sign so therefore the captions don't come up and so therefore um, you're then becoming, you become him basically, you're in his place. That's clever, yeah. Later, uh, yeah. Later, when he does learn how to sign, they do caption it because of course he understands, so therefore now we do. So um, so by not captioning, I think um, um, they, they educate us as well because we're very much in his position by not knowing uh, how to sign. Um, the film is just extraordinary from start to finish. I was going to do the other one first, but when I saw this, um, I just thought it was from start to finish, just one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. A lot of lessons to be learned here as well, you know. Well, it allows and, people um, to enter the deaf community. It allows people to get an insight into done. their society. Yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. And the way in which the film is done. I mean, you know, I, when cinemas open, I presume this will be shown in, in cinemas. And so, so therefore, what's great about it, the way it's, it's such a clever film is that if you are deaf and if you are um, uh, and you're not, therefore both can enjoy and, 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 and can understand and what's going on uh, constantly. It's beautifully done, beautifully realized. And, um, and I loved it from start to finish. Um, it's, the interesting thing, too, for me is that the film looks as if it's filmed on film, but it's not. It's obviously on High def cameras, so it's and um, uh, those those cameras are getting better because the film looks beautiful as well from start to finish. Uh, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it very very much indeed. And uh, and and you are say so you're looking forward to it this yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I have it down for either tonight or tomorrow night. It's 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 on my list of must watch movie this weekend. Okay, so Mark, sound a metal out of ten. I will give it nine. Nine out of ten. All right. Okay, and that's on Amazon Prime. And then Stowaway. This is a, a trip to Mars. Um, yeah, I mean the thing is, is that as I say, I was going to do this first uh, because it's kind of a um, it's kind of a premiere film. Um, but in the end, I, I didn't really like it as much as the Sound of Metal, so I decided to do Metal first. Basically, it's a three person crew; they're on their way to Mars. Um, and that what's interesting is that the crew is made up of uh, three people, and two of the the, the, the captain of the crew is uh, is Tony Collette, who's a woman, and Anna Kendrick is uh, the the medic on this film. So and they're very much the heroines of this film, which is great to see. Uh, David Kim plays the third member of the crew. Uh, they're about two or three day, days into this mission to Mars, which is going to take two years, when they find a man unconscious, uh, still alive. Um, in a cupboard, basically, and uh, he doesn't know how he got there. And so, but the problem is when they're trying to retrieve him from this cupboard, apparently what happens is one of their kind of oxygen producing uh, kind of, um, um, I don't know what you would call it, uh, kind of, what, this thing that produces the oxygen for the craft that they're on, it becomes damaged. So about a week into this two-year journey to Mars, there's no turning back, they realize that, in fact, um, they're going to run out of oxygen before they get to Mars. So they then have this kind of um, this dilemma, this kind of emotional kind of dilemma on how they're going to get there. Um, one of the members of the crew, uh, Daniel Kim, he does have um, plants uh, that can produce oxygen. So therefore, he tries to do that, to try and give them at least a little bit more in the way of oxygen. But the, the plants begin to fail. And so about an hour in, they do realize, well, what's going on? Well, what are we going to do? And that then is when you think the film is going to be this, uh, you know, because the film has to deal with that dilemma. It has to deal with, well, all four of us are not going to get to Mars. So what are we going to do? So from then on, you do think, OK, this is going to get exciting. This is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, this Full is when all tension. the action is. Exactly. This is when it's all going to kind of kick off. And then it kind of doesn't, actually. And if one of the criticisms of the film is its pacing, and it has that same pace, that kind of very languid pace the whole way through. And um, and it never really seems to kick into gear And I, when you really, really wanted to. Uh, there's a scene where they are doing a spacewalk. The spacewalk seems to last about 20 minutes and it just goes on and on and on. And I think that's, for me, the pacing is the problem with the film. It's nearly two hours long. It could have done with a huge amount of cutting which is a shame because all the performances are great you know Tony Collette here using an Australian accent which we very rarely see Anna Kendrick is very very good indeed as well it's great to see two women kind of in control of this kind of spaceship and um, and you know the performances are great but it's just quite boring at times and it never really kicks into gear and I think that's its fault That's a pity Okay Mark it out of 10 
I'll give it six. Six out of ten and that is Stowaway. Okay, have a lovely week and we'll chat to you next uh, Friday, Mark. Thank you for that. Uh, Bye-bye. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Uh, A couple of texts saying congratulations to Barrett's copying in business a hundred years today. Congratulations to everybody in Barrett's in uh, copying. A customer says they've got lovely obliging staff. They all deserve a bonus. (laughs) That's from a customer. Well done to Barrett's in copying. And James Prendergast is celebrating his eighth birthday today. Happy birthday to you, James, Nana and Gaga have sent in a text wanting to wish you all the very best. And to the lady who hasn't got photo ID, somebody has suggested, could she pop into her guard the station and get a form stamped with a passport photograph on it like people used to do a number of years ago to get bank accounts? Would a guard the station do that? Maybe they will. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you after the bank holiday weekend on Tuesday. And then I'm Patricia uh, Messenger. Stay safe. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.